All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's all stand together. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read today, beginning in verse 3, all the way down to verse 23. <clears throat> the Bible says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and let the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made, he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night. And so to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let, let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Father, we do praise you. God, we read the account, the historical account of creation, and together, Father, with all of creation, your people today give you praise. Father, we honor you in this place. There is only one who is worthy of the praise and the glory, God. There's only one name that is worthy to be hallowed among your people. Father, there is only one who spoke, and it was so. There's only one who holds all things together. And in the end, there will only be one who receives all glory, praise, honor, and blessing. And God, it is you. Grant the revelation. Father, grant the revelation. We have not come to hear from the heart or mind of man. Grant the revelation of your spirit 
To us today, God, we know it to be your desire to speak to people. And so, God, our hearts are yours, our ears are open, our eyes are longing to see. Give the revelation today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. The story is told of a cynic who is sitting under a nut tree. (laughs) He was carrying on a sarcastic conversation with God, and the grounds for his complaint lay in what he considered to be an obvious failure on the part of God to go by the book on structural design. God, he said, how is it that you've made such a large and sturdy tree to hold such tiny, almost weightless nuts, and yet... You made small, tender plants to hold such large and weighty watermelons. As he laughed at the foolish disproportion of God's mindless universe, a nut suddenly fell on his head. After a pause, he muttered and said, thank God that wasn't a watermelon. You know, we live in a finely tuned universe, and years ago when cars had carburetors, I remember spending a lot of time trying to dial in, trying to fine-tune my carburetor so that I could make the engine in my car hum and purr. And I'll tell you right now, just for one carburetor and one car, that was difficult, but I look at the universe, so majestically made, so intricately created by God, and I want to tell you today, it is humming, it is purring just as God intended. It is finely tuned. We live in a finely tuned universe. I agree with what John Calvin said as he was considering the way that Moses began the book of Genesis. Of course, you know, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as Calvin was considering the way that Moses started this particular book, because you know, he could have have started with many things, but he started with creation. He said this, the intention of Moses in the beginning excuse me, in beginning his book with creation is to render God, as it were, visible to us in his works. And that is precisely why Moses started with the story of creation. It was his desire, like I said, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to bring us to a place where as we looked at the created works of God, we would see not just what God has made, but that we would see the character characteristics and the attributes of God himself. In fact, when Paul was writing the book of Romans, in the beginning of the book, he said this. He said, for since the creation of the world, his, that is God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they... And we'll talk about the they later, all of humanity, so that they are without excuse. Just hold that up there for a second. So from the very beginning, Paul says, from the very beginning, it was the intention of God that through his creative works, all of humanity would be able to see his invisible attributes, the almighty power of God, the infinite wisdom of God, so many qualities and characteristics that are on display every single day if we are just simply paying attention. I mentioned this to you last week. I do want to say it again. The most beautiful thing about creation is the creator. And you may enjoy 
going to Southern California and watching the sunset over the Pacific. And man, it is a beautiful sight to behold. But you know that the more beautiful thing to behold is the one who has made the sun, the one who has given the sea its boundaries, the one is the one who has put the earth in just the right position for your skin to get tanned and not burned with fire. Thank you, God, for that. Although if you live in Las Vegas, you know, the, the latter sometime is, is a reality. Or maybe you're holding your firstborn in your hands and you're looking at the intricacy of that creation. All of that speaks about the creator, the almighty God, who is infinitely wise, like I said. You know, what we see in these verses, and I know some of you may be thinking, well, hey, we didn't do all of the seven days of creation. We're going to get to day six tomorrow, or not tomorrow. Hey, we have church tomorrow. Be here. <laughs> all right. All right. There we go. Uh, next Sunday, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about day seven today, but what we see in these verses is the how of creation, God's way. In fact, let me just run through the days of creation again, just so we understand what it is that God did on these particular days. On day one, he made light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he created the evening and the morning. That was the first day. On day two, he made the atmosphere, and he created a water, water canopy around the earth. On day three, he made sky and land and vegetation. He made organic cellular material. On day four, God created the sun and the moon and the celestial sphere. He called the stars into existence, and he even named them all. On day five, he caused the sea to be teeming with life. He created sea creatures and every winged bird. We see, we see the order of God's creation here in the book of Genesis, but we don't necessarily see all of the details. And let me tell you, over the course of the history of the church, there have been varying ideas on how it is that God created all things. From Clement to Augustine, from C.S. Lewis to Chuck Smith, while we see the order given by God, the details are not necessarily all there for us to behold. And so over the course of thousands of years, there have been many different ideas postulated about how God did what he did. Maybe you're familiar with some of these ideas. For instance, there's the gap theory, which says that between verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis, there in fact is an undefined period of time. These individuals take the words uh, without form and void and darkness. And as I mentioned to you last week, they're very strong Hebrew words that have great potential implication to them. And what they conclude is this, that the creation account that we just read is in fact a recreation account, that there was a former creation and there were certain particular things that had happened, although undefined in the word of God, that unleashed the judgment and the justice of God. And so what we read today was a recreation and in fact, between verses one and two, like I said, there is an undefined period of time. Many people have held that theory. There are others who believe in a literal seven-day creation story, that the earth is, in fact, is not millions or billions of years old, but it is around 7,000, 6 to 7,000 years old. And when the Bible says day, the Bible means day. 
And there's sufficient evidence as you read the Old Testament and you really do do a deep dive on the word yom, which we translate into our English uh, day. There is uh, sufficient evidence to conclude that when, when God says day in the scripture, he means a definite 24-hour period of time. In addition to that, as you read the other authors of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it seems evident that as they looked at the creation narrative that they believed it was seven literal days. And then in addition to that, in addition to those two ideas, there's another idea that's prominent. It's called the day-age theory. And this idea is that day a day doesn't really represent a day, it represents an age. So we're not talking about a 24-hour period of time, we're talking about an age or an epoch, uh, a, a longer undefined period of time. Um, some say that, that it was a 24-hour period of time that God did the initial creation on each of these days of creation, but what followed was a longer period of time. And those individuals say, this is why we, you know, see that there is such a long period of time in the geological formation. You know, I would say to, to all of that, what is not compatible with the Bible, you can have one of those views. I think that as Christians, we understand that there is the freedom for us to look at the scriptures and to come to a conclusion, understanding that how God did it is not necessarily essential to our faith. It's just the fact that God did do it, right? But what is not compatible with the Bible is the theory of evolution. And I want to share with you today just a couple of reasons why I believe that. Number one is this. While we see in the created world around us that micro-adaptation is undeniable, we also see that macro-adaptation is not. So by that, I simply mean that within kinds, God has engineered organisms to be able to respond to their environment. God has allowed, God has created for micro-adaptation. When environmental conditions change, God has engineered it lovingly into organisms that they can change with their environment. We see that on a micro level. What we don't see is one organism turning into another type of organism. And, and as you look at the fossil record, you see that uh, there is no support for transition from one kind to another kind. In, a, in addition, I would say this, that natural selection does not create increasingly complex organisms no matter how much time you, you give it. So the idea is this, that through deleterious genetic mutations, as an organism responds to its environment, they are naturally selected and able to adapt and survive because of this particular deleterious or negative genetic mutation that has, quote unquote, evolved. And of course, for this to even be um, possible with respect to probability, they've had to extend uh, the age of the universe from millions of years to tens of billions of years to even hundreds of billions of years, and yet even with all of that time, it is still not mathematically probable. And I would say this today, you, you have to have more faith in evolution than you do in believing that there is an intelligent designer behind the created world that we see every single day. 
So I, I do believe that intelligent design is undeniable as you look at the cosmology of the universe, as you, as you dial down to uh, DNA, what you see is the infinite wisdom of God. We live in a finely tuned world. And all of us know that complex systems have an architect. Which of us after the service is going to grab our iPhone and walk out and send a text and post on social media and say, hey, isn't it awesome how over the course of time this thing just created itself? We would never do that. And yet we interface with complex things all the time. We understand that behind the complex creation is an intelligent designer, whether it's a screen that we look at, a guitar that our worship leaders play, or the iPhone that we are unfortunately so addicted to, all of that declares that there is a God. Like I said to you, the most important thing is that God did create the heavens and the earth. And I love his first words. I love his first words, let there be light. Or you could say from the original language, light be and light was. Hey, by the way, that is the way that it is with God. When God speaks, it happens. Do you understand that today? When God speaks, it happens. Now, you might be super familiar with the order of creation, and you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. God said, let there be light, and there was light, but that was before he created the sun and the moon and the stars. Pastor, how do we explain that? Well, evidently, there was this light that was emanating from God that filled the universe, and this is uh, something similar to what's going to happen with a celestial city that will descend from heaven, the new Jerusalem. This idea is not without precedence in scripture. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, speaking of this celestial city, city that we will inhabit if we're believers in Jesus Christ, it says this, they need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. God spoke. God didn't have to speak. God could have thought creation into existence, but because God is a relational being who desires to be known, God spoke. God wanted you to know. God wanted you to know him. God wanted you to know that when he speaks, it happens. God wanted you to know that his word is powerful. You know, uh, I wasn't going to deal with this today, and it is a topic for another point in time, but do you believe that the word of God is powerful? Yeah. Do you? And I'm not talking just about the word that he spoke on these days of creation, because we can look back and say, man, how powerful was that? I would have loved to have been there with the angels to hear the very word of God, the, created, the creative word of God to have been present on that day. And I say to you, you just don't have those words. You've got the whole word. You've got the whole canon of scripture. You've got the powerful word of God to experience every single day in your life. And I say that to a church, and I know that it's simple to, an evoke, to evoke a response to that, but do we really believe in this biblically illiterate Christian age that we're living in? Do we really believe in this biblically illiterate Christian age that we're living in, in this shallow entertain me because I'm a consumer Christian era that we're living in? Do we really 
sincerely believe that this book, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has the power to transform our lives. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm struggling with doubt. Well, what do we do? We go to the Word. God, I'm struggling with lust. I'm desiring things that I know I shouldn't desire. What do we do? We go to the Word. God, I'm struggling with loneliness. I'm doubting that you're even present in my life. God, I need wisdom and guidance. I don't know what decision to make. Father, I'm struggling with my relationships. There's just so much dysfunction in me. There's so much. We're going to talk about that later, by the way. Not my dysfunction. No, we'll talk about, we'll talk about mine. We don't have enough services to talk about my dysfunction. But God, there's so much dysfunction and toxicity. There's so many chains that need to be broken. Do we really believe that the Word of God has the power through the work of the Holy Spirit to bring changes in our lives? I pray that we do. You know, Job needed to be reminded. Job needed to be reminded. You know, Job went through so much suffering. Job experienced so much loss. And over the course of time, Job himself in his thinking became so twisted and so tangled up. It didn't help that he had miserable friends. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, if you're going to be a friend to somebody, don't be like Job's friends. That's all I can say. And that did not help Job, right? I mean, he's going through all this stuff, and then you've got these miserable comforters who come along, and they're speaking in the name of God. Oh, I could so go off right now, but I, I don't want to. And, you know, he got all twisted in his thinking, he got, and in all of that, you know, the Bible says Job did not sin against God, but he lost perspective. He lost perspective. And I don't even think that Job realized, right? It's like the proverbial frog cooking in the, in the pot. Pretty soon he starts thinking things that are, that are just not right. Up is down and down is up. And what happens? God is gracious to, to bring a revelation to him. What was going to solve Job's issues? Well, it wasn't another segment of Dr. Phil. Let me just tell you that right now. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't looking back uh, to things that may have previously settled his heart. It wasn't going back to sin is what I'm saying to you. Job didn't need to take another pill. Job didn't need to engage in another sin. Job didn't just need a sexual experience and everything was going to be better. Job didn't need to look inward to himself. Job didn't need to rely on his own willpower. Just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Job, because that's going to solve your problem. That's not what Job needed. And I want to say to you today, it's not what you need either. Today, maybe it's you. Maybe you're all twisted up in your thinking. You're all tangled. It's like a big knot. It, your thinking is like a big knot. And the harder you pull on the string, the tighter the knot gets. Well, sin is not going to help you. It's going to make the problem worse. Looking inward is not going to help you. It's going to make the knot even tighter. You need divine revelation. You need divine revelation from God. Hey, church, why is it that in the midst of our struggle, God oftentimes is the last one that we turn to? He's the last one that we turn to. Like we know we need to lean into prayer. We know we need to lean into the word, but man, we're going everywhere else except God. And he's like, hey, here I, I'm right here. And you know, in all of that false pursuit, we're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? And God's like, where are you? That's the question. That's the, that's the question, child. Like, why are you down that road so far? Why are you down that road so far? Listen, what does he do after Job's friends say all that they say? God steps into Job's life 
and he gives divine revelation. He says, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? I just want you to think about this. I just, he, he gives revelation. He points to his general revelation to wake Job up out of his spiritual slumber. Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you pre- present when I created the stars and all of the angels sang? Job, were you there when I set the boundaries to the sea or I put a garment of clouds around the earth? Job, are you the one that commands the morning to come so faithfully for the sun to rise and set? Job, are you the one who's able to guide the path, path of a thunderbolt? Can you bind Pleiades? Job, can you loose Orion's belt? And in all of that, as Job is listening to this divine revelation, he's being reminded that all that God says comes to pass, and there's a shift in Job's life. Job's lifted out because of revelation and right response to revelation. You can get revelation, but you need to respond to revelation. You understand that? God is faithful to bring it, but just because God brought it doesn't mean that everything's going to change. You need to submit to it. And in all of that, Job, as he's looked inward, Job, as he is in some sense having this overwhelming moment of self-pity, Job, as he's dealing with God, why me? God, why me? God gives this revelation, and pretty soon, all of that is turned into humble worship of the supreme God. All of that. I'm not saying Job's circumstances changed, because they didn't change. You know, sometimes our worship of God is predicated on him doing the miracle. God, I'll worship you after you do this. Job worshiped him even when the circumstances didn't change in his life. And he said this, God, I know, as, he, as God gives this revelation, God, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. All that God does is good. And you see this after each day of creation and the Lord saw that it was good. Hey, even your relationship with him, as God looks on you as his son or as his daughter, this is what he says. He says, it is good. And the whole story of creation is this beautiful picture of what God has done in our lives. Creation was, like I've said, chaotic. There was emptiness. There was no purpose. There was no meaning. It seemed to be there was no order. And what does God do? He speaks and he causes light to come. And this is what, what has happened in your life if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. God has taken your chaos and he's brought order. God has taken your emptiness and he's given to you real meaning. And I think this is precisely, precisely what James meant when he says in James chapter 1, hearkening back to this day of creation, every good and perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own will he brought us forth by the word. You're like, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm I'm the one who said yes to God. Don't I deserve a little bit of credit? And the answer is no, right? I mean, the Bible says that no flesh is going to glory in his presence. You're like, well, I walked all the way down. And don't you tell me that it was easy because you know what? I mean, I was a little embarrassed. I was a little embarrassed. I was afraid of getting rejected. It took me a lot to raise my hand. Hey, good for you. Good for you. But the truth is this. When you got down here, you realized God had been working in your life for a long time. God had been at work for a long time. 
This wasn't just, this wasn't just some moment. This wasn't just some moment. God had been orchestrating. God had been shaping. God had been providentially working. God had been being faithful. And that's exactly what James means when he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, unfortunately, we, listen, we know this. God is at work. He's working all the time. He's working behind the scenes. He's working in front of the scenes. He is in the scenes. We are often too busy to take notice. And I think this is one reason why he made day seven. He made day seven so that we would reflect, so that we would stop and pause and learn, so that we would meditate, so that we would consider you know, as you're reading the book of Psalms, oftentimes you'll come across the word Selah, and that is exactly what it means. Like there's a, there's a mighty God bomb that the psalmist just dropped, and he's like, it's like a mic drop, right? He's like, hey, you think about that for a while. You say law on that. You meditate, you pause, you think, you consider, you chew on it. You give God your full attention. The poet Mary Oliver said this, attention is the beginning of devotion, are you paying attention? Does God have your full attention? Look, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. I know that your calendar is stacked. I know you have a lot to deal with. I know that there are many responsibilities, but don't ever say to God that you are too busy for him. If you're going to have a life that is really devoted to the Father, then he must have your full attention. And with all that's going on in the world right now, with all that's going on in the world right now, I do think that we are too busy paying attention to what man is doing when we should be paying attention to what God is doing. David said this, you know, you love David. He's a sweet psalmist. You know, he was a man who spent real time in the presence of God. He gave God his full attention. In fact, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And in the theme of everything we're talking about today, David penned these words. He said, when I consider your heavens, when I consider your heavens, when I meditate, when I pause, when I say law, right? When I look at your created works, in fact, the work of your fingers, God is finger painting for you. The moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him, O God, I look at all that you have made. I consider it. I'm letting it seep into my heart. I'm pausing. I'm stopping the calendar. You have my attention. I've shut my phone off. God, I've directed my heart and my mind to you. And, and Lord, the universe and all of its infinite intricacies, it's just finger painting. God, it's just the work of your fingertips. Stars are born when stellar dust clouds collapse on themselves. Because of turbulence and gravity, clusters accumulate, and as the mass increases, it collapses, forming a star through the fusion of hydrogen to helium and other elements. There are 3,000 visible stars to the naked eye, 100,000 stars visible through a small telescope, a hundred billion stars in every galaxy, 125 billion galaxies, making approximately 10 billion trillion stars in the universe, each of them named by God. 
Psalm 33, 6 says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. The sun is 864,938 miles in diameter. The sun is so big that 1.3 million earths could fit in it. Every second, the sun burns about 600 million tons of hydrogen into about 596 million tons of helium. This is nuclear fusion. Yet only one billionth of the sun's total energy output reaches the earth, creating a world blooming with life. Our sun is just the right color to enable photosynthesis. It is just the right mass to support life. Psalm 74, 16 says, The day is yours, the night also is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Psalm 148, 3 says, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. At 94,343 million miles from the sun, the earth is just the right distance for a stable water cycle. Not too close so the water boils, not too far that it freezes. Its gravity, axial tilt, rotation period, magnetic field, crust thickness, oxygen-nitrogen ratio, carbon dioxide, water vapor, and ozone levels are all perfectly tuned for life. Isaiah 45 verse 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. Lightning bolts carry over a million volts of electricity and can reach 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit five times hotter than the sun. The extreme heat of a lightning strike causes nitrogen to bond with oxygen to create nitrogen oxides, which combine with moisture in the air to fall as rain, watering plants with nit nitrate-rich water. There are three million lightning flashes every single day. That's around 44 strikes every second. Psalm 135.6 says this, whatever the Lord pleases he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places, he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. There are more than 60 eagle species in the world. An eagle's grip is over 10 times the strength of a human grip. They have 1 million cones per square millimeter on their retina and can detect prey two miles away. An eagle can fly up to 100 miles an hour, catch updrafts, and fly up to 15,000 feet in altitude. The largest eagles have an eight-foot wingspan. Eagles are loyal birds, and they mate for life. The only time they tend to find a new partner is if their former one dies. Job 39:27 says, does the eagle mount up at your command? and make its nest on high. On the rock it dwells and resides, on the crag of the rock and the stronghold. From there it spies out the prey, its eye observes them from afar. The DNA in every human cell gets damaged over a hundred times a day. However, our bodies have a very clever repair mechanism in place to fix those damages. 
The human genome is comprised of 6.4 million letters. It would take you 50 years to type the entire human genome if you typed at a speed of 60 words per minute and worked eight hours a day every day. If you unraveled all DNA molecules in your body and placed them end to end, it would stretch over 110 billion miles and be able to stretch to the sun and back over 600 times. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The purpose of creation was ultimately that it would be fit for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. For the day that Mary would be overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit and would bear in her womb the seed of the woman, the promise to Abraham, the ladder to heaven in Jacob's dream, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the seed of David, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the Word of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who would die on the cross for humanity's sin, be raised from the dead, and lead us faithfully to the Father for all eternity. God said, let there be light, so that 4,000 years later he could say, let there be gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I say to you today, like Nehemiah said so many years ago, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. O oh God, you alone are the Lord. You made heaven and earth, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Praises. 
where you lost your life so I can find it If you left the grave behind you, so will I I can see your heart in everything you've done Every part designed in a work of art You're the one who never leaves the one behind. 